You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, if you haven't checked out the Producers Perspective Pro yet, now is the perfect time to do so. There's over 30 plus hours of exclusive training, inside information, all sorts of other fun stuff, ways for you to save money, save time, and help you get your show off the ground. Check out the ProducersPerspectivePro.com. It's free for a week trial. I want to be a producer with a hit show on Broadway. I want to be Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey, it's Ken. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, and I hope it's pulling back the curtain on this business of Broadway. If you're looking to learn more about what makes this industry tick, go to my website, kendavenport.com, and sign up for my weekly newsletter. I'll send you one email a week, one article about what I'm seeing, trends, insights, marketing ideas on what's happening on Broadway right now. That's kendavenport.com. Hope to see you there and in your inbox. Greetings, everybody. Ken Davenport here. This is the Producers Perspective podcast. We're getting a little fancy today. We are going to talk to two producers at one time. That's right. It's a producing team. Please welcome to the podcast Tony Award winners, Mr. Randy Adams and Ms. Sue Frost. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us, Ken. So Randy and Sue won a Tony Award in 2010 for their production of Memphis on Broadway, which also toured extensively, played London, where it picked up an Olivier and is now being done all over the world, I assume, that they also produced First Date on Broadway in 2013, a slew of off-Broadway shows, including Vanities, Make Me a Song, and others. They were the executive producers of Dr. Zhivago from last season, and they are the producers of the upcoming Come From Away, which is getting a terrific amount of buzz as it creeps closer and closer to New York. And, in my opinion, they're like the nicest producers in the biz. Okay. So we're going to talk a lot about your partnership, but I want to start just a little bit and see why don't you kick us off with how you ended up where you are today. How did you get your start? Oh, it was sort of a torturous path. No no design. Um, of course, like everyone else, when I came to New York, I wanted to be an actress. Um, but because I had worked in summer stock as an administrator type, I my friends put me into jobs right away, and I kind of never looked back from that. I was a company manager. 
at Pam Company Manager. And then um, the last show I did on Broadway was The Rink, Kandra Nebs The Rink. And when that closed, I said, nothing is ever going to be this much fun again. I need to do something new. So I went out to the good speed in Connecticut, I thought for the summer, and stayed for 20 years. And uh, that's where I learned that what I really loved doing was producing, because I produced all the new works at the Norma Terrace Theater and uh, also produced, uh, associate produced the shows on the main stage. So that was where it all made sense to me. And I was there for 20 years, and um, they were going to give me a party, and that meant it's time to go. So I quit, and uh, Randy and I started Junkyard Dog in 2006, and uh, there, here we are. So Randy, how did you get your start? Um, well, I actually, uh, all my degrees are in theater, and of course everybody goes to school thinking they're going to be an actor, but I was there for a little bit, and I'm like this is not what I'm going to do the rest of my life. So I sort of, you know, sort of morphed around and, you know, uh, my master's is in directing. Uh, and then I ran a couple of summer theaters. And so I was exposed to producing there. And so I took some business courses. And so along the way, it was sort of like, oh, this is a lot more interesting. Uh, and then I worked at Virginia Stage Company for five years, uh, worked with three different artistic directors in five years. That was a major learning experience. <laughs> And uh, then I went to Theater Works in Palo Alto for 20 years. Uh, and uh, when I went there, it was a large community theater, wanted to become a professional theater. Budget was $300,000 a year. And when I left, uh, the budget was $7 million a year. So there was a lot of things that happened over those 20 years there. And it was a great place to be. And then, <laughs> it's all Sue's fault, I always say this. Uh, she left the good speed, and I said, well, what are you going to do? And she's like, I don't know. i, I got to do something, though. They're throwing a party, and I'm not dead yet. Um, <laughs> and so she, you know, for about a year was looking around, and I think somebody asked you to uh, formulate. A, right, come a, up with a, a, a New Works development program. And, commercial uh, producer. <clears throat> and it didn't actually get picked up or financed, but it gave us the idea to, um, to sort of pool yeah. our, our collective... Well, because she was working on it, she kept running stuff by me because we had a whole new works arm out there at Theater Works and we were doing a bunch of stuff. And so at the end of it, it was a great proposal and she put it in and they didn't fund it. And so at one point I looked at her and said, well, we should just do this. It's really good. And she said, well, you have a job. And I said, well, so did you. You left. So ultimately, uh, um, basically, I left Theater Works at that point. We formed Junkyard Dogs and the rest is where we are. So when did you first meet? When did that happen? Just we were because... both on the board of the Nationalized for Musical Theater. And what, we met there, and we were in the early days of NAMPT, which is what Na Nationalized for Musical Theater is known as. It was really as much about revivals as it was. Uh, I mean, New Works was kind of like uh, something... The Bastard Child. Like the Bastard Child. And Randy and I, of course, <laughs> were both really passionate about new works. And uh, so that drew us together. We realized we were developing a lot of the same writers. Um, some of the projects I'd been developing at Goodspeed ended up getting produced at Theater Works and vice versa. So we realized we had very, very similar uh, tastes. And people kept saying to us, you know, you guys should run a theater together. You'd be a lot of fun. And so we, we didn't that. want to run a theater together. <laughs> we said, we're already doing that. Yeah, we're already. doing that. So, but we decided to just, it was a huge, crazy leap. But we, we looked at our collective um, knowledge from over those many years and uh, decided. And what we also realized was until you play in the big pond, nobody's ever going to take you seriously. 
So we really had to find a way to um, kind of make our mark uh, here in this town. And even though I knew a lot of people from my, my company management days, it was a different it's a different beast when you're a producer. So, and that's how we ended up with Memphis. We knew we had to start with Broadway. I mean, the whole plan, and I'd say we're still in phase one of our new plan, <laughs> because the whole plan was to be able to develop new works across the country. Um, but uh, Broadway is sort of uh, the, the kind of the, you know, the center of the universe when it comes to musical theater. So you have to be able to negotiate Broadway to make anything else happen. So that's kind of where we are. What I love about what you both, your paths, and every producer I talk to, his path is very different, but you both came from these nonprofit, these powerhouse nonprofits, thanks to your work there. Uh, what's the biggest asset you got from working in a nonprofit that you still apply today on Broadway? <laughs> what's the thing you learned the most that you think is the best? Uh, don't spend money you don't have to. Totally. Um, but also, our experience in nonprofit makes it we we understand that world so it's been very um, helpful for us as commercial producers building on partnerships that we've developed over the years and having a real understanding of what those theaters need um, and going into our relationships we developed Memphis through uh, partnerships with regional theaters first date and now come from away is uh, an acknowledgement of what we all bring to the table when it comes to developing a new work, which is risky and expensive and challenging. Well, and we talk that language. We know we know what it is. And one of our funniest stories was early on in Memphis when we had our general manager Carl Passberg was on the phone, uh, and Debbie Buckholtz uh, from La Jolla Playhouse was on the phone, and they were talking about something that was in the contract and so forth. And they were they were both saying the same thing but really. using different language but using different know? language we're kind of like whoa whoa you're both this is what you're saying right and they're like yeah like the, that's okay the let's move on <laughs> but it was fascinating yeah. they literally were you know at butting heads over something they actually were agreeing on so we kind of know how that system works and we know the players uh, in many ways I'm you know 10 years down the road now it's a little different but um, we also know how to I think we know how it felt when people would come into our house and work with us. And so I think we're really good people to go into other people's houses and work within their system uh, and realize they have a whole way they do this. And your job is to give, you know, bring the very best of what you're doing and yet not try and screw up their system because that's what they do. They do it really well. That's how they operate. Uh, it's like, how can your show fit and work within their system, but you still get what you need in terms of the show. And also don't spend more money than you have. Oh, please. <laughs> so how do you divide up your duties? You talk about you have similar tastes. Do you do you have, like, I'm, I raise the money, I do the marketing. Is there any system? Not really. I mean, because we're both such sort of hogs when it comes to the work we it's really hard to get we, we're you know we our desks like face each other we do a lot of the same things but very often with each project you sort of find that you know I may focus more on you know certain members of the creative team Randy because he ran his theater for 20 years and every time he had to replace a marketing director he had to pick up the marketing stuff so he I think is much more comfortable with that you know and we kind of just trade off but we also only do really one project at a time even though we've got stuff in development come from way right now is our focus so we 
that's what we're paying attention to. And so, which is not to say the other projects aren't important, but this is the one on the front burner. So we, and then we'll say like, you take that, you deal with that, you deal with this person. I'm going to go do this, but it's very much <laughs> so a day to day. I can't deal with them. You, yeah, deal. very much a day to day thing. Yeah. And how do you? How do you raise money? Do you do it together? Do you do you share everybody? Do you each have your own? Yeah, partners? well, you know, it, it, we sort of do it together. And you know, the other thing I should mention here is we have two more partners in Junkyard Dog, Kenny Alhadif and Marlene Alhadif, who are not managing day to day partners. Uh, they're based in Seattle, but uh, they came uh, on board with Junkyard within our first year, and uh, uh, so so they do some raising of money amongst their peers and um, and their folks and then we again I mean it all sort of comes in under the same umbrella but um, uh, we, we kind of divide and conquer we kind of divide and conquer and that's that's a natural uh, evolution of <clears throat> you know sort of who we knew coming into it or who we are most comfortable working with um, you know I came into this with a bit more experience in the New York arena randy has you know uh friends everywhere so uh, <laughs> you know it's just it's sort of evolved but it's always very show specific you know that uh, depends it, it go it varies from show to show and it's and also sometimes you know you're pulling in new people and, yeah and it's a question of whether we're doing it together or yeah but know, it's also as the shows are developing across the country people are becoming attracted to the shows and then we work with them to uh to become part of it I really meant that when I said that I believe you two are like the nicest producers in the biz. But I assume you must disagree at some point. Very rarely. Really? It's very rare. Every exactly once in a rare. while. Every once in a while. Uh, see, okay. So he's a lot more laid back than I am. <laughs> so I tend to get a little more frenetic about things. It's like, did you do that? Did you, did you do that? You know, because just as it's like, you deal with that. And then I'm like, did you do that? And every once in a while I'll say, back off. <laughs> or I'll say you have to do this but not too much not when we much. started the company we said if it's not going to be fun we're not going to do yeah, it we don't want to do it life is too short you know we've, we've, if it ever gets to be a chore we'll stop yeah right well because you know we ran theaters we had a lot of people reporting to us I mean it was a whole another layer of all that that was there and so you know the reason we got into the theater to begin with was it was fun that's why we all got into it so if we were going to do this we wanted to make sure that it was going to be fun it's gonna because it's hard enough. Oh, it's if really you can't hard. have fun doing it, then no, you you're know, there are really some screwed. days where you're like, I can't get out of bed. <laughs> so you don't get out of bed, oh. and then the next day you try again, and oh, usually gosh. something fun happens. Yeah, occasionally. I mean, it's rare though. Even uh, you know, I mean, part of that is you know, I think why we ultimately ended up working together is that with the same sensibilities. Even when we're working on a show and working with the writers and so forth, it's really rare that we have really divergent opinions about something. Very rare. Very rare. Yeah. And so we know that, you know, and, and we say that sometimes, you know, with, the, with when you're in the thick of it and you've got emails coming, approve, 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 approve. We just say, you know what, Randy approves, you don't hear from me, go with it. You know, it, it's that kind of a thing because almost always we agree. Every once in a while we'll, we'll take a different angle. Yeah. Um, you know, and that, we'll that do works things for slightly us. Differently. That works for us. Some people might say, well, you ought to have somebody who's really strong in fundraising and somebody who's really strong in this. It, it, that would, that just, this works for us. So far, ten years we've been doing this. Yeah. You're, and you know, 
you're also part of what I think is really becoming an endangered species, and I'm certainly one of them, this independent producer on Broadway, Sue is shaking her head, for That's those right. of you who can't wow. see through your uh, eyes. It's very hard. <laughs> so, <laughs> becoming rare, rare every day. Talk to me about why you think that is, that the independent is becoming a little more rare, and what has changed in the last 10, 20 years that has made it harder? Well, you know, I think because it's there's so much more at stake in terms of money, you know, and so much money to raise. Um, uh, again, part of why we only do one show at a time is because the fundraising is part of the entire experience. It's not, you know, uh, an end to itself. So, so I guess as an independent, you know, you, you're always walking that fine line in terms of raising money. Um, and also still managing to be in charge, which is critical for us. Um, it's very, you know, the, the real estate situation is very challenging. So it's about making sure you really got your ducks in a row and you're constantly sort of um, working to make sure that, that um, you're kind of ready to go. I, again, you, you, as I watch the bigger corporations and the bigger entities around us, um, I'm, I'm not adverse to, to sort of working within that system, but the whole reason we started the company was because we really love doing what we do. So like we don't want to give that up. And if we get to the point where we have to give that up, then let's go find something else to do. Do you know what I mean? I, I, again, I don't know that there's any specific... I mean, you yourself, you're up against it all the time. All the time. Surround yourself, I, We surround ourselves with great people. We've got... A really wonderful team that we're working with on Comfort Way, and everybody's as passionate about the show as we are, and that makes it easier, you know. How do you find projects, or what do you think? Do you, do you have a formula for what you think will work on Broadway and around the world? Is it what when you see something? How do you know? Okay. This. Okay, let's this. talk about our upcoming project, Come From Away, <laughs> a title that no one can remember. We've cast it with people who will not sell a ticket, and everybody's calling it the 9-11 musical. Now, there's a formula. <laughs> there's a formula for success. <laughs> so that's a great example. So let's, let's talk about that. What, what and how, how did it come to be? How were you like, yes, this one? Was it pitched to you? Oh, no. It was, no it we knew was, the writers. We knew the writers. Um, yeah. We actually, this is a funny story. Um, a friend of mine had a friend whose son-in-law is Irene Sankoff's cousin. And Irene Sankoff is one of the writers. And they had this other little project um, that they were trying to figure out what to do. It had been developed, it had been produced, they were really trying to figure out the licensing end of it. And he said, would you meet with them? And so we did, and we, yes, we, we met with David and Irene, and we thought they were terrific. We didn't have anything to bring to the table, we just, you know, met with them. And then two years later, or a year later, we're in Toronto, they're, they're based in Toronto, we're in Toronto with the Memphis tour. And we said, let's call David and Irene, see if you want to have breakfast. So we were having breakfast with them the day they were going into a workshop Developmental workshop of their brand new musical, Come From Away. Just kismet that that happened. happened and then the next time we saw them was at the NAMP Festival where they were presenting Come From Away. And it just blew our socks off. I mean, we were just like, oh my God, this, and, and I don't even, I can't even tell you. It's just there's a, 
there's a heart to it. There's a uniqueness to the way they tell the story. There's a it's the score is fantastic, and it, and it was really saying something. So you know, and they were being bombarded after this. They were really being bombarded by producers and 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 other theaters and things like that. And we were very fortunate. They came to us, and I think it had to do with the fact the that they we had a little bit of a relationship. We, they knew who we were. They they felt comfortable with us. But you know, and again, you know, Memphis is a similar situation where. In its early development, because I knew Joe and, and David, we we ended up not doing it at the good speed, but right. I was really aware of it. Weird. Theater, so, and, I mean, and, that was the whole connection there. And, and so we knew those people. I mean, uh, part of it is, you know, I was with that on that journey with them for the whole time. And then, it, you know, uh, basically it was uh, George W. George was the person who held the rights to it. But after, you know, the North Shore production, he couldn't get anybody to pick it up. And so he held the option for several years, and just as it was coming out of options, when we were going into business, uh, and so I called him up and I said, "What's happening?" You know, because people would always ask about it, like, "What happened to Memphis?" What happened to Memphis? It had that audience. People loved know, it. People loved people it. People loved it. Didn't matter what shape it was in, and I can tell you, it went through a whole lot of uh, changes through its uh, course of time. Um, and uh, he said, "Well, funny Chicago, because you know it's just coming out of options." I said, "Well, guess what we're doing?" And he said, "Well, let's talk." So. They came in, we talked to them about what they thought needed to be done and what they wanted to do with it in the, for future, and we talked about what was and the rest is history. Yeah, but you know, again, to go back to the development of that piece and Comfort Away and First Date also, we saw it in front of audiences, we saw how audiences respond to it. And, you know, if there's a formula for why you think something's going to work on Broadway, you have to believe that it's going to sell 12,000 tickets a week that is going to have that kind of appeal. Whether it does or not, you know, there are a lot of external factors that you yeah. just don't control, but if the piece itself is reaching uh, people emotionally and they're engaged with it and they're excited about it, then that tells you it's got a future. And, you know, I, there's so many wonderful prop properties out there, so many wonderful shows out there that I don't feel should come to Broadway because they don't have the capacity to reach that many people. doesn't mean they're not going to reach people. And, and that's why, you know, kudos to you for, like, figuring out how to make something work off Broadway and run for a while. But it's, you know, that, that kind of thing is very difficult. So you have to feel like, okay, this is going to, this is actually has the potential to reach that many people. So let's figure out how to get there. And come from away, when we started it, we went out to La Jolla. We had no full idea that this was ultimately going to come into Broadway. It was only when we saw how audiences responded to it that we said, okay, okay, this show has traction. Because the, the word of mouth was, and the response to the word of mouth at the box office was immediate. Yep. So We watched it happen. It's just like, wow, okay, got it. Let's talk. Let's go back to Memphis a little bit because what I so admired watching you guys produce that show was your sheer tenacity. <laughs> we didn't know any better. Well, there you go. There's one of the best tips I've actually heard in all the podcasts I've done. Uh, the sheer tenacity. Well, nobody's going to take care of your show like you will. I mean, that's just the deal. But you just kept going until you really felt you got it right. How many out of towns did it have? Well, from it was beginning to end. It was ultimately there were four. Uh, two with a different creative team. Uh, and a different producer. In, you know, which was the North Shore and Theater Works uh, version. And it, a lot of things happened there. And then when we took it over, then there were two more. There was La Jolla and Seattle, uh, Fifth Avenue in Seattle, uh, with 
Chris, Ashley, and Sergio, and those folks who then came on as the crew. From the first production that you did to opening night on Broadway, how what percentage do you think changed? From from, from the very from, beginning? From the oh, no, from you Lomoy. got it. Oh, from oh, Lomoy. You got it. Um, 30, 30 to 40%. So talk to me about how you work with writers and directors. And that's a 30%, a third is a good chunk. And I assume you had a lot of very specific thoughts. And how do you <clears> work yeah, with Yeah, well, and, you know, again, Joe, Joe and David are great collaborators. Um we, we, we you know, them. when we first sat down with them to say we would like to option this piece, we talked a lot about it was at a crossroads where it could go very kind of uh, kind of hairspray, happy, a little bit more more out there kind of, or it could go a little bit darker. And we felt like it was an important story. We wanted to really pursue that. And they all, they all, everybody felt that way. Chris, Sergio, everybody. So we knew we were on the same page going forward. If we weren't on the same page, we probably wouldn't have gone forward. You know, if they said, I want to be this, and we said, we want you to be this, it's like, okay, great lunch, got to go. <laughs> but we all wanted the same thing. And so then we did um, uh, a sort of splashy presentation just to sort of get some interest. Because, yeah. you know, the show had a bad, had a little bit of a bad uh, reputation because George, in his enthusiasm for it, invited the world up to see it at the North Shore. And it just wasn't ready. So, you know, I would be calling people to say, come to this presentation. They're like, oh, I saw it at North Shore. It's no good. I said, that was years ago. They continue to work on it. Would you please just get your ass over to, you know, New World Stages and see it? I went. I was there myself. you know, and it went went great. We got enough attention, and and then we went into a 29-hour meeting situation. I got some money. (laughs) But, you know, it was also uh, Joe and David and Chris and Sergio and Randy and I we, we would sit down every day, you know, when the show was, was in its percolating phase and say, is this working? Is this not working? Blah, 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 blah. And um, that's really important for us as producers that we have that relationship with the creative team. If they're not interested in that relationship, then we wouldn't probably have working with them. You know, so we have to set that relationship up really early on. And then we also have to set ground rules so that ultimately all of our partners would come to us with their notes and then we would share them with Chris, who then shares them with David and Joe, because those are the rules, you know, those are the rules, and people can't be bombarded with too many people giving them information, so it's a trust, you know, you build trust with your creative team. And that was my next question, because you, like a lot of other shows nowadays, you had a lot of above the title producers on Memphis Mm -hmm. in order to make that show happen, Uh, so what... Talk to me a little bit about how you manage that, folks. That you know, producers have to manage creatives. You have to manage actors, and, and then, then you, you have, have to manage your team. Yeah. yeah. Well, we just set just, the ground rules really early, yeah. and we also, when somebody wants to invest, we're really clear up front what the rules are. So tell me your rules. What are those rules? <laughs> the rules are you no. Know, nobody talks to creative team about a sh- about the show, other than us. Yeah. All that all the all the notes come to us, and then we filter them. Um, and, you know, again, it, it, there are social exceptions to all of that. And, again, Joe and David were really, they, they, Joe and David and Chris and Sergio would also meet with our other general partners um, uh, on a regular basis yeah. to get their thoughts. The Freitags. You yeah. know, the Freitags and the Elhadifs. They, they would make sure that they had the opportunity to do that. Yeah. Um, but all the rest of, of the folks, they had to come through us. And generally speaking, they do. 
Um, and one of the other things that's evolved over time <laughs> is the dread marketing meeting, which we have learned is not a useful um, uh, way for anybody to spend their time. So we we have initiated with Come From Away um, co-producer meetings where we all meet and we can bring in members from the from the team to talk about whatever. Again, this is early days, so we've only had the one, but we just feel like. Let's, you know, if, if people are above the title, they're above the title for a reason. They're smart people, they're passionate people, they have a lot to bring to the table. But again, too many voices just makes the advertising, marketing, press team cuckoo, you know. Um, so again, we filter all of it. But we absolutely want the opportunity to hear from these folks. So we just set up separate meetings where there's really, the hope is they will be much more useful to everyone. And then let the the the, the day to day team do their work and not feel like they have to keep grinding out you know reports and presentations. It's like I'd rather you use your brain rather than like sat there and got something going. So those are I think those are our big those goals. Are the big ones. Yeah, those are the big in terms goals. of how to work with them. Just because uh, you know part of that I think comes from our nonprofit world as well. It's just efficiency of time and how best to use people and yet uh, make sure that everybody's doing their best work and using the time well. Because, you know, people do have ideas. I mean, we've worked with boards for years. So, I mean, they always had great ideas. But it, they, what you didn't want was you didn't want them in there doing the day-to-day. Uh, because that's it's not what they do. Yeah. You know, it's not what they do. Uh, but they have great ideas and you want to utilize them. What do you think is the most important skill that a producer in 2016 needs? <laughs> if you could only pick one of your many skills, wow. which we've discussed here today... Would it be raising money? Would it be marketing? Would it be... What do you think? You could only have one. Communication. Yeah, I think so. Because, I mean, you, you have to work with so many different people, and you really have to make sure they're all communicating with each other as well. And, uh, you know, if, they, if the process isn't working, it doesn't really matter what's going on. You're, you've got a whole different issue at, at hand. Yeah, you got to communicate with first and foremost with your creative team. You've got to communicate with your partners, your financial partners. You've got to communicate with your team, your sales team, your general management team. And and managing all that is probably the most I mean it's certainly the most time consuming part of it. Um, <clears throat> but the other thing we always make sure we do is at the end of the day, if we have a show like if there's a show in the rehearsal studio, we're there every day for at least at least, you know, the beginning of the day, the lunch break, or the end of the day, to check in and see what's going on and make sure we are a comfortable presence. So it's not one of those things where it's like, ooh, the producers are in the room, you know, <laughs> that, that we're not going in there to, like, scare anybody. Yeah, that, so that we're there because that's, we, that's why we do this. We love that part of it. I love putting a show on. The rest of it, Crazy making sometimes, but but we have to remind ourselves to like walk away from the computer and get into the room. And again, not to interfere, yeah. never to you know. I'll sit in on a dance rehearsal. I'll never sit in on a book rehearsal because that's between the director and his actors. But if I stop in at the end of the day, check in with the stage manager, check in with the company manager, blah blah blah, then you become a a, a, a part of it and not you know the evil presence who comes in and scares people. Yeah, and, and otherwise, I don't know how, you know, I'm just the way we do it, I guess, but I don't know how else you know what's going on. How do you know what's going on in rehearsal? How do you know what's happening? What's the, you know, what's the temperature in the room? How's everybody feeling about the way it's going and stuff? I mean, you, you can't 
can't just sort of drop in for five seconds and get that you have to be around in order for people to be comfortable enough and talk to you and do all those things that they can feel comfortable if they know who you are. It's such such a great note, and I'll tell you, it's something that I endeavor to do in every single one of my shows, and often I find myself, especially at the beginnings, unable to do that because you're so busy, and literally I had to apologize to the Spring Awakening cast because we pulled that together in like 83 days or whatever it was, and I just wasn't around, and I felt horrible, and then I had to work extra hard to try to get into the community that mm-hmm, they're already mm-hmm, built. Mm-hmm. So it's such a great note. Yeah, and it's and it's something and again it's it's a fine line between being in the room and you know you're there you're being a presence in the room but not an over presence mm-hmm. in the room. You know, I can Arturo Parazzi, our stage manager who's now done Memphis and First Day News now doing Come From Away. When we first started on Memphis, you know, we you could just tell we walk into the stage manager's office and like, why are they here all the time? <laughs> Are they going to interfere? Are they going to talk to actors? Why are they here all the time? And now it's like, oh my gosh, we got to make sure we got a room for Randy and Sue, you know. So, but it's that it's that sort of like fear because you don't interfere, you don't talk to actors, you know. You you I mean, you can talk to actors like, how's your kid? But you don't like give them notes, you know. So it's but making sure people know that you know the rules. That's a good thing. Yeah. Advice for young independent producers who want to enter into this endangered species of a world that we're all inhabiting right now? Marry well. Uh, yeah, marry well. <laughs> no. Access no, to money. I, I, teach, um, I teach producing at Columbia and um, we talk about it all the time because it's hard. I mean, it's really hard to make a living and it's really hard to do what you love to do in the middle of everything else. I mean, I think, I think it is about being flexible and being open to many different things. I think the folks who are most successful, um, and again, I think we just started too late. I'm too old for some of this stuff, but you know, look what you do. You've got all kinds of things going on, you know, so you can find ways to sustain yourself during the downtimes. And I think that that's important, certainly for early career producers, is to figure out how to balance it so that you can sustain yourself. Because ultimately what you want to do is you don't want to just sustain yourself, you want to sustain the core of people around you. And when when you've got, and and always be looking for um, new ways to do things, you know, I think that that's also. And you got to love it. You got to love what you're doing. You know, don't do projects that you don't love because they're too hard, Uh, you know. And you're, you're married gonna, to him. You're married to him. You're going to spend a lot of time with him, so you better love him. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's hard sometimes, I think. Because, uh, you know, you're trying to make a living. You, you need to do what you need to do. But ultimately, any of these projects... I mean, Memphis. I've lived with Memphis for how many years I mean, now? And it's a great... I, I love every moment of it. I've never gotten tired of it. Uh, but you better love it. Because you don't, you don't know how long you're going to be with it. Or how... Uh, where it's going to go. Or what it's going to take to make it happen. So... But you're also the only one who's going to love it like that. And so that's what makes it possible. Anything in your career you would have done differently if, as you look back now? If only oh, I, I, had... I try not to think about things like wow, that. I don't, <laughs> I, 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 I don't I, do the if only. No, I don't. I don't. I kind of, I, it's kind of everything I did got me to where I am. Uh, I mean, yeah, I sort of had to go through all of it, I think, to get here. <laughs> you know, after working with three artistic directors in five years, and then the way that all changed over, people fired, people, things happening. I mean, 
uh, that was an education that I will never forget. And I learned so much during that period of time. And talking about having to deal with people in good times and bad times, it was wild. And I feel like that, that sort of was the foundation for the rest of the world. Well, this brings me back again to you guys being so nice. How do you say no to people when you have to say no, especially to a big, powerful director or a composer? You mean when you're working with them? Yeah, when you've got, they oh, want something. I, I don't think that's hard because if you've done your work and everybody understands that you all want the same thing, then it's a conversation more than anything, you know. And you've and and everybody understands where the no is coming from. We've been really blessed to work with creative teams who understand uh, the business as well as the art, and who really genuinely listen when you say that's a bad idea. And some of that has to do with the fact that they've had other experiences where uh, it didn't work out so well. You know, and I don't think we've ever really gotten into a situation yet um, with any of the shows that really have continued on uh, where we couldn't all find a way to do what we wanted to do. And sometimes it's a compromise, you know, and some of the projects that didn't really um, come to fruition, some of that was challenged with, uh, with, with trying to get everybody on the same page. And, you know, sometimes, and I I think it's probably one of the hardest things a producer has to do, maybe the hardest, is to know when to let go. And to say, you know what, this is not going to work. We've done our best. You know, you hope you haven't, like, spent too much of somebody else's money getting there. Sometimes you have. I mean, that's very painful. I mean, we... We hate losing other people's money, you know. We just hate it. And so you have to really feel strongly about something, um, having a chance of success. Um, and then sometimes you just have to say, you know what, this this is not a good idea. I think I think we need to, to move on. I think part of it's just the, you know, that conversation we have with the creatives. Uh, uh, you know, they all know we're all going at it the same thing. It's not like we're just trying to... Penny Pitch. <laughs> and I'll never forget on Memphis, there were conversations about, well, it'd be really nice if we had this oh, and this. That was and we go, we go, well, Ooh. here's what that would mean. And two stagehands, two more stagehands for that one moment. So, oh, let's in, find another In terms of the weekly, which is what ultimately <laughs> we all live and die by, is the weekly, uh, they, they, they got that. They knew what it was about. And so they'd go back and they'd figure out some other creative way and they go, oh, yeah, I think maybe we could do it. Yeah. So it's really just about. Everybody working together to try and make it the best. Uh, and then you horse trade. Well, if you really want that, then what That's are you going to give me? That's right. <laughs> but everybody knows it's coming from a good place, so it's okay. Can you break some news for us on Come From Away? So what's the trajectory coming in well, this season? Well, um, I can tell you what's been announced. Yes, we are coming in this season. We have not announced a theater yet, but you can still you can see that they're still working out the fall, So, um, <laughs> which is crazy. This coming season looks crazy. Uh, we, open, uh, we start performances at Ford's Theater in D.C. Uh, September 2nd. And uh, and then we start performances at the Royal Alex in Toronto on November 15th. And we run there until January 8th. And then you're expecting to come south. Okay, my last question for you both. 
which is called my genie question. <laughs> one of my James Lipton questions. Ready? I want you to imagine that the genie from Aladdin comes to visit your office. We know him well. Yeah. <laughs> a good genie. It's all my fault. He's here. <laughs> and he says to you, listen, I want to thank you both for being such a great example of one of the rare things on Broadway, a real producing team. Uh, and for all your work, I want to grant you one wish. Again, you're so nice and so generous and so sweet. What's the one thing, though, that makes you so angry about this business, about Broadway, that keeps you up at night, that makes you pound the tables, that you would want this genie to wish away in a heartbeat? Randy, you're first. Oh, thanks. Um, I, you know, I think the thing that drives me the crisis is the ticket prices. I, I worry that we are really beginning to be an exclusive club and theater was never really meant to be that. And yet, I think many shows, and especially new work, have a challenge because I think people are afraid to take flyers at 150 bucks a pop on something they don't know. And I don't know when the world changed. It didn't used to be that way. Revivals were not the, the mainstay. Uh, but now it's all about name recognition, brand. What are they going to go to that they know is going to be a good night if they're going to spend that much money? And I worry that people don't take as many risks. I mean, I'd rather see something new any day. Uh, but I, I get it. I get why some people are not going to pluck down 150 bucks to go see something they've never heard of and they don't know anything about it. And so I think, if anything, that worries me the most because I think, hopefully, you know, I know that the numbers on Broadway keep going up and up, but I also worry that there will be a, a moment where it starts to go the other direction and then what happens and... I does it, is that a good or bad thing? I don't know, but I do know that I worry that people aren't taking the kind of chances and seeing new stuff the way they used to, and that that's a shame. Sue, and you can't say ticket prices. Oh, I thought he'd talk so long that I would have no time. Um, hmm. Well, you know, I guess this is a funny business because it's so small, and and it's, there's it, there's a real sense of community, but then there's this also sense of you know it's every show for itself. And, and I think that it would be, it would, and it, I wouldn't say it makes me angry. I don't know that anything really makes no. me angry, but you and know, if I get, if I got my wish, we'd, we'd all try a little bit harder to work a little bit more together for the greater good, as opposed to like the one show at a time kind of thing, if that makes any sense. And I guess that's my, my bad old not-for-profit hat coming back to me that sometimes you're looking at the overall season as opposed to a show. Um, but I don't think anything makes me angry. It takes a lot to get me mad. <laughs> but you don't want to see but it. you don't want to see it when it happens. <laughs> I would say that's true of both of us. <laughs> there are rare moments. Like, boy, just ask anybody who was ever on the other end of it. <laughs> and on that dramatic note, uh, we'll say goodbye. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks to all of you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and to leave us a nice review so we can spread the word about these great folks that are doing it every day on Broadway. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time. Hey guys, don't forget, now is the perfect time to check out the Producers Perspective Pro. Sign up for a week trial, download all the stuff, watch the webinars. It's free for a week. Theproducersperspectivepro.com.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.